0: Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the Filmmaker's Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Today is Veterans Day 2022, and joining me on the podcast is retired Marine Captain Dale Die. Dale served three tours of duty in Vietnam and participated in 31 combat operations. For his efforts, he received a number of decorations, including the Meritorious Service Medal two combat action ribbons, the Joint Service Commendation Medal, and the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal. After serving as a Marine for two decades, Dale noticed that Hollywood lacked insight in their portrayal of the psychological and emotional toll that war often took on soldiers and Marines. He went on to establish Warriors Inc a technical advisory company dedicated to the realistic portrayal of military combat and personnel in Hollywood productions. The business provides research, planning, and staging along with on-site consultation for film and television. Following a stint of unsuccessfully offering his services to a number of prominent directors, Dale pitched his work to Oliver Stone, a fellow Vietnam veteran who was in the midst of filming his 1986 breakthrough box office hit, Platoon. Dale would go on to work with Oliver Stone on Born of the Fourth of July, Heaven and Earth, and Natural Born Killers, and he advised a who's who of directors along with Steven Spielberg in Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers, Michael Mann for The Last of the Mohicans, and Ben Stiller on Tropic Thunder. Dale has also appeared as an actor in a number of popular films and television shows, including The Pacific, Band of Brothers, Saving Private Ryan, Casualties of War, Mission Impossible, and Born on the Fourth of July. He also lent his voice to the Medal of Honor video game franchise. He spoke to me from his home in Texas. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative. A nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review and follow. Now, on to my conversation with Dale Dye. Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, retired Marine Captain Dale Dye, who is also the founder in the technical of the technical advisory firm Warriors, Inc. And what that means is that uh, Dale uses his military experience to help Hollywood writers and directors get their soldier stories correct. So welcome to Making Media Now. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you.
1: Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So before we get into uh, how you arrived in Hollywood and came to work with just a a head spinning array of directors and writers, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what led to your military career. Where'd you grow up and how did the military become uh, so integral to your life?
1: Well, I, I suppose it I come by it naturally. Um, I went to a military high school. I'm from Southeast Missouri. And uh, I had planned uh, to go to the United States Language Academy. Uh, Unfortunately, I I chased too many girls and and played too much football and and wasn't able to pass the exams. So uh, one one night uh, in December of 1963, I was involved in some fuzzy headed navel gazing. Uh, and, and I said, what am I going to do here? What am I going to where am I going to go? What poor me, you know? And uh, and and uh, I turned around. I was near a post office and uh, right outside the post office was this A sign. And the A sign had this uh, rock ribbed, lantern jawed, marine in dress blue uniform. And it said up over the top, it said one word ready. Huh? And I looked at that and said, you know, by God, I think I am. So uh, I went in and enlisted, and uh, that began my military career.
0: Where did you, where'd you go to boot camp? San Diego. At that time, how much of a role, if any, did literature or film play in what you thought being in the military was all about? Or, or, and even more importantly, what being in war was all about?
1: Well, a big part. Um, you know, I like a lot of I guess uh, teenage young men. I had a, a romantic view of the military and and what the war was about, what war in general was about. Um, and and I thought, you know, geez, if there's a chance to excel. There's a chance to see what's on the other side of the hill. And uh, and uh, and so yeah, I had that romantic view. I guess as as most people do.
0: And how soon after uh, after being a Marine, uh, did the did that did that view get altered?
1: Yeah, that, that uh, got altered very quickly. Uh, <laughs> I realized that uh, it, it wasn't what I had imagined it to be. But on the other hand, uh, it, it pleased me. I said, you know, this this is a place where I can serve. Or it can do adventurous things, even but doesn't involve getting any shot at. Right. Um, and I think um, I think that appealed to me, and and probably said me said to me, uh, you're in the right place.
0: Yeah. So it, it's often said in life that timing is everything, and your timing, uh, enlisting in the Marines in the mid 1960s, uh, resulted in you being sent to a place called Vietnam. Yeah. What yeah. did you know about Vietnam and the sort of the U.S.'s encroaching role, uh, you know, in the, the battle uh, between South Vietnam and North Vietnam at the time?
1: Not very much, uh, to tell you the truth. It, it seemed remote to me. And um, and well, maybe I'll get involved in something like that. Maybe I won't. Who knows? The 60s progressed. It became more and more obvious that I was going to end up there in one faster than another. Right. And so uh, the important thing to realize, I guess, is that I, I wasn't at all involved in the politics of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what Marines do. And so send me, send me. Uh, it wasn't until, I guess, my second or third tour over there that I began to say, oh, wait a minute, this is a controversial thing. And American, to some extent, is being kind of torn apart
0: by it. And you did three tours in Vietnam, correct? I did, yeah. and a tour consisted of what thirteen months? If you were thirteen months, yeah. So that you were quite literally in the belly of the beast. Uh, you were you're in Vietnam during the Tet Offensive, and for you know listeners who might not be familiar with the history of the Vietnam War, the Tet Offensive was. Was a pretty uh, seismic shift in at least the perception of the war on the on the part of a lot of, of uh, Americans. And could you give us a, a sense of your involvement during the Tet Offensive and and how, as a soldier, uh, you reacted to the um, the events of the Tet Offensive?
1: <laughs> I think um, the truth of the matter is that. Um, The Tet Offensive was, as you say, a seminal or a turning point in the war. Um, I fought in uh, Way City, Mm -hmm. um, which was kind of a house to house uh, sort of situation. And um, it was brutal. It was, uh, I I think the important thing to understand there is that uh, we won that fight, Mm -hmm. uh, despite how the press had, had uh, presented it mm-hmm. um thinking that we didn't win it uh, we did indeed um in fact we we kicked some ass uh the truth of the matter is but i i did perceive at that point that the public opinion about the war uh about american involvement in the war had perceptibly uh, turned and uh, i think it was uh it was at that point that I said, "Look, I don't know how to look at this exactly. Uh, I suppose I'm going to have to uh, accept uh, whatever it is uh, and and sort of ignore it because uh, I had a job to do, and and that job involved laying lives down."
0: In, in which of your tours did the Tet offensive take place? Was that on and, your third tour or second tour? Second. Second tour. Okay and by the time you're entering your th- third tour um is is the notion of v- victory in vietnam has that been redefined in in the minds of the soldier or does the soldier the, does the, does the marine block that out uh, you you have to block it out to some extent
1: but i but i think uh, we began to realize that this wasn't going to be our dad's war right um, it, it it probably was going to have um, a, a different outcome, and, and who knew how that would affect us.
0: When you uh, complete your third tour of Vietnam uh, as an enlisted man, you then became an officer. Tell me a little bit of how about that came to be. It, it, well, I,
1: I had advanced uh, pretty well in the ranks, mm-hmm. in the enlisted ranks.
0: Um,
1: I like to think based on my skill. The, commandant of the marine Corps at that point at uh, that point in time uh, decided that what we really needed to do was get back to our roots yeah. broom out some of the stuff uh, that d- 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 detritus if you will that that, uh, that that Vietnam had brought into the ranks. Yeah. and and in order to do that it was the commandant's uh, idea that we take some of these uh senior enlisted guys uh, who uh, experience downward counts, down in the ranks mm-hmm. and uh, commission uh, commission, them, send them to um, uh, uh, of candidate school and that sort of thing. And and uh, despite my their protests, uh, I was one of those guys. And he said, look, uh, we need you to lead. We need you to teach. We need you to step out front. Uh, and and put your decoration, that sort of thing on the line. And I said, uh, well, uh, are you sure? Because I don't I don't really think this is where I belong. And he said, it's where you belong. Trust me. Off you go. So I went to Quantico and then became a warrant officer simply because I didn't have a college degree. Mm-hmm. And it would be a while before I got that college degree and able to convert my commission. I think was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it put me out front. It made me a leader um, in, in fact, as well as in mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in your time, I think it's important to know for listeners in your time as an enlisted man, you know, you earned three purple hearts, bronze star with a V for valor. So it, 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 it feels pretty obvious what your, uh, what your, what the leadership was seeing in you. Uh, and it, so, as an officer, um, how did your uh, military career uh, proceed post-Vietnam?
1: Well, it, it proceeded in a very interesting fashion. Um, I was made uh, what's called a public affairs officer. Mm-hmm. And uh, in NARS measure, that was um, it was training young men and women to, to teach and to explain what the Marine Corps is. Mm-hmm. And and why we're different, and why we're unique, and that sort of thing. Um, and and so uh, I became a teacher essentially. I became an instructor, and uh, and I found that to be one of the more rewarding um, elements of the whole thing.
0: In the uh, aftermath of your of your military career, had you been thinking along the lines of? Hollywood or fictionalized accounts of war? or uh, Tell me how you made that leap.
1: It was, um, it depends on who you talk to. There are <laughs> uh, those who say that uh, I always had that sort of thing in mind. Um, the truth of the matter is I had been a, a war movie fan uh, yeah. for most of my life. Yeah. Uh, I'd seen, I think, every war movie there was, and uh, the reason for that was that they depicted my life or a portion of my life. Right. And so I was interested in, in how the filmmakers uh, portray that. And the common, common denominator was that uh, they pissed me off. Um, they just did not understand who we were, why we were, uh, how we communicated with, uh, with each other um and and so uh why why do you think they were getting it wrong well i I think the plain answer is nobody had any experience with it Mm -hmm. um the filmmakers who who had world war ii experience uh there were a few around sure sure um but they weren't doing the writing and that sort of thing um and so there was this misperception of who we are and what we are and there was this uh it seemed like uh, they were they were creating some sort of uh, fiction. And I said, you know, that that's unfair. That Not only is that unfair, but it it's it's absolute nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need there needs to be a way that they understand who we are, what we are and what we're about.
0: And so that led to a uh, relationship with a fellow uh, Vietnam veteran.
1: Yeah, uh, it did. He he was one of the only ones who really uh, trust me.
0: And that he believe. is Oliver
1: Stone. Oliver Stone, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I probably should have said that earlier. Uh, he, he understood what I was trying to do. He yeah. understood where I was trying to go with this. And he believed in it because of his own personal
0: experience. How did the two of you um, cross paths?
1: Uh, it, well, the, the truth of the matter is, I had learned to read the trade papers, mm-hmm. and uh, I saw this little blurb. I think it was in in uh, Army Archer's column in uh, in uh, the Daily Variety, and, and uh, it it simply said that a relatively uh, heretofore unknown writer director by the name of Valer Stone was going to do this uh, this uh, Vietnam War story based on his own experience as a combat engineer. And I said, well, there it is. Um, If I can get to that guy, he'll understand what we're doing. And uh, through various machinations, I probably can't mention right now, uh, (laughs) I was able to get to it and and pitch this idea. And anybody said, you you know, that's right. Uh, The question is, are you the guy to do it? And I said, absolutely. I'm the guy to do it. And, you know, we kind of sniffed each other and checked each other's bona fides. And uh, he said, "Okay, I'm going to trust you with this. And he gave me 33 actors, uh, many of whom were unknown at the time, but certainly have have, have, uh, encouraged their profile since then. Uh, Forrest Whitaker, Johnny Depp, um, Willem Dafoe. Charlie Sheen and uh, and he said, take them into the mountains, take them into the jungle. And uh, when you bring them back out of there, they better be us when we were 19 or you're fired. And I said, OK, got it. I got mission type orders and, and uh, off I went. Um, and and the great thing about it was uh, in in terms of my own career, when we brought that little film home and won uh, four Academy Awards, mm-hmm. including uh, Best uh, Picture for, and, and Best Director for Oliver, uh, all of those people who'd been saying I had no idea what was going on and so on and so forth, they, they, they said, well, hey, let's get Ty over to work on this film. And, uh, and, and so the career was built from there.
0: That's uh, that's fascinating. So in that that three weeks that you had with these uh, these these 33 actors, what was the most important uh, aspect of being uh, of being a combat soldier that you wanted to make sure they were going to bring to the screen?
1: Well, it actually came. I mean, you have to understand that these these people were being trained. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no outside contact whatsoever. They were living as we lived, the as I could make it. Yep. Uh, living as, as we lived uh, in Vietnam. And uh, I think the crucial element was a thing called standout, uh, which I did uh, every evening, usually just before the evening meal. And, uh, and, and, it was an opportunity for them to um, ask me any question that they felt they needed to know for their, or, or was just curious about. And, and I would spend as much time as I could uh, on those questions until I felt they got the answer they needed to help their performance mm-hmm. or, or to help their understanding, even if it wasn't their performance. And that probably was, was the high point of the whole thing. I mean, they, Sure, the the constant heat and the constant uh, weariness, that was all part of it. Mm -hmm. But it was really those moments of picking my brain that I think uh, helped them.
0: So around the time that Platoon came out and, you know, was met with great success, uh, both critically and commercially, you know, there were other films like The Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now that actually, yeah. you know, that, that came out. And it it seemed that popular culture uh, was finally in a place where they could take a clear eyed look at the Vietnam War and and maybe even more accurately at, at the... Um, Uh, the Marines and the soldiers who fought in the in the Vietnam War. What's your take on why that distance, that historical distance was necessary?
1: Well, I suppose it was because of the national attitude uh, toward the Vietnam War. Uh, It was uh, generally negative. Um, There had been a great I think think of it as a sheet of ice that had grown over the uh, over the Controversy about the war and that sort of thing, and nobody wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, even those who wanted to talk about it generally couldn't find an understanding ear, and so and so people kept that pain in their gut, and uh, and it sat in there and fermented and it rotted, and that that was a cause of great divisiveness uh, mm-hmm. in in Vietnam um, or or in the nation over Vietnam, and so. Um, What happened, I think, was that we brought that film up and people who couldn't talk about the war prior to that time uh, were willing to say, OK, look, uh, I can't I haven't been willing to talk about this, but um, maybe if you come with me and see this film and uh, you'll understand a little bit of that. And and what I found was that that ice began to melt. And, and it was true. And, and what that taught me was the power of the media, uh, the power of, of popular media. And I said, well, you know, I may have a tiger by a tail here. And yeah. uh, so I developed it uh, thereafter.
0: So continuing on with your relationship with Oliver Stone, in addition to Platoon, you collaborated with him on Born on the Fourth of July, uh, Natural Born Killers. Um, You know, Oliver Stone's an interesting character because he, you know, you, you, you both share the Vietnam experience. And yet people who don't know that about Oliver Stone quite often sort of dismiss him as this Hollywood lunatic. In your role, uh, you know, as a a former Marine and as somebody who is so dedicated to an accurate portrayal uh, of of combat and soldiers, what type of alignment do you have to have philosophically or perceptually with a director to feel comfortable working with them, whether you're talking about an Oliver Stone or a Michael Mann uh, or a Steven Spielberg? Well, it,
1: it obviously changes. Sometimes I need to absolutely keep my mouth shut (laughs) Um, and and sometimes I don't. And I think part of it is judging when to do that. But I find that uh, most really good directors are interested in an element of truth, probably is why they're doing what they're doing. And uh, and so uh, I find I can get away with things that the average person perhaps wouldn't. Uh, oh, well, he's that guy. So uh, we'll just carry on with him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's a, sometimes it's a difficult marriage.
0: It's a, say a little bit more about that.
1: You obviously have to judge the terrain that going into Mm -hmm. Um, if, if I've got a, you know, a wild eyed radical uh, sort of guy who's got that sort of opinion, but i like the project he's doing. Yeah. um, I say, okay, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just ignore uh, his political aspects. Yep. And I'm just going to go in and do the best I can with his actors. Now, Mm -hmm. if, if, if I do, um, The best I can with his actors, Um, some of my sort of take on the thing will rub off on. Sure. Uh, And he may not like that, but there it is. And uh, and and I guess I guess that's uh, as close as I get.
0: So when I look at the films that, that you were involved in, you know as a technical advisor in, and in many instances, you, you you had small roles as an actor too, which I want to chat about in a bit. Um, but when I look at the, the these, these films, they're they're notable and you know i'm talking about platoon and born on the fourth of july and saving private ryan uh and thin red line they're notable for not just the verisimilitude of the the battle scenes and the and the military rigor uh but also kind of the emotional complexity of the soldiers themselves and it, it that wasn't always the case with war movies. A lot of the times with war movies, it was John Wayne in the Sands of Iwo Jima, etc. So how important is that aspect of telling the soldier's story to you?
1: Well, I think it's crucial. Um, the, the truth of the matter is soldiers are generally complex human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people may think of them as nose pickers and knuckle draggers, but that's not the case. Um, and they have sometimes well thought out and well formulated opinions. Uh, sometimes they have trouble expressing those because of the, the macho, uh, mentality. Um, but I think, I think it's vitally important that that the American public gets a look at who soldiers are, how they think, what they think Mm -hmm. and how diverse they are, um, in those opinions. and so that's, that's a vital aspect
0: to me. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we, particularly with, uh, you know, I think of a movie like Saving, Saving Private Ryan. And, uh, you know, I think if you ask people who... Uh, you know, it's all it's a it's a universally admired and loved film, and I think, understandably, for a lot of people, the the um, the scenes at Saving Private Ryan that just shook them to their core are there those opening scenes of the invasion, uh, uh, the Normandy invasion, uh, and just the 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 chaos in the very be, in in the very beginning, and that obviously is a huge technical accomplishment on so many levels. And from a storytelling standpoint, I always felt one of the the most um, vivid aspects of that film is at the very end where the character played by uh, Matt Damon is now seen as an elderly gentleman at the military cemetery. And I think the movie may end on this line where he says, earn this, earn this sacrifice.
1: Yeah, it's it's. Probably the most moving um, mm. elements of, of the whole film. And that's pure Spielberg. I mean, he he knows what emotional buttons to push. Yeah. And and he puts his finger and mashes it. Uh, and and I, it brought tears to my eyes. I mean, mm. I. There are times when I look back on my career and say, "Geez, I hope I hope I was a good man. I hope I hope I earned it." Yeah. Um, and, and so when when he proposed that, I said, hey, if if you could pull that off, um, that would be the absolute capstone on the whole thing. And he did.
0: He mo- Yeah, he, he most certainly did. I have to ask you about your experience with Terrence Malick. Um, Thin Red Line is is among my favorite 5 movies of all time I probably watch it annually <laughs> but but I've read so much about the making of that movie and sort of the, the idiosyncrasies of Terrence Malick I'm I'm curious as to, to uh, your take it's I
1: didn't spend any time on set with it okay uh, my executive officer uh, actually did that film. He, he was there in, uh, Australia and so on and so forth, but he's been with me for 50 years. Okay. So he knows, he knows the deal. Um, what I do remember was, uh, meeting with, uh, Terry Malick in, um, to try to pitch our services on the film. Okay. And, uh, I met with him, I think in, uh, Houston. And, um, I was doing another film at the time in Texas. And, uh, Um, We had lunch together and and kind of talked about what I thought uh, I could bring to the film and and what the film needed and what the approach was. He was all very attentive to that. Um, But uh, at the end of the lunch, he said, well, look, I I think we can we should get you to help us out here. And I said, well, Mr. Maddock, thank you very much. I'm glad to do this. So here's here's the script. And he handed me a two hundred and twenty-page <laughs> tome, yeah. and and I said, uh, "Thank you. I'll I'll read it with great attention." And, <laughs> and off I went. But what it was was it was a struggle. And and my executive officer told me that it, it was echoed when he began to shoot. Yeah. Um, he he. He made an attempt, much as James Jones did in the novel, yeah. um, to get himself inside the mind of a soldier. It's very difficult to do that um, visually. Yeah, um, and and he was after it. Um, I can, I guess he he cut it down uh, to the point where he felt comfortable with. But it, but it must have been uh, working with him on set must have been an interesting aspect.
0: Oh yeah, there, were, there, there are stories of actors in the film that it, when they went into the film, they thought, "Oh my god, I have this lead in a Terrence Malick film," and then they go to see the premiere. Their role is either entirely cut not- out or they have no lines. Adrian Brody, in particular, has zero lines in the film. He's you see him probably a half dozen times, but there's no spoken lines. All right. And I and I remember reading about how he you know he brought his family to the premiere and they were all. Aghast <laughs> at what had taken place. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So so we're mentioning these, you know, these very, very heavy, you know, emotionally heavy and dramatically heavy films. Uh, and then I see that you were also the advisor on an uproarious comedy, Tropic Thunder, which, <laughs> which has a very, uh, you know, a, a military component.
1: Yeah. Um, and again, uh, I didn't do that one on set. Okay. Uh, my, my executive officer did it.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, you may get the idea that, um, you know, we we take these things. But very often uh, I'm working on one project and my executive officer working on another problem. Each, each, each of us with a staff. Um, but again, uh, in the prep for that film going in, I mean, I read it and I said that, you know, uh, I seem to recognize something here. <laughs> said, yeah, okay." Yeah, it's, uh, okay. And, and yeah, it's th-
0: very much the satire of the the self-serious yeah. director who's going to make this uh, very realistic war film. Um, I, I did want to touch upon your your experience as an actor, which is uh, also quite notable. I mean, you, you've you appeared in Outbreak. You were not only were you a technical advisor on Saving Private Ryan, you played an aide to General George Marshall. You were in Spy Game, another one of my favorites, and and Mission Impossible. Now, so this is a audio podcast and folks can't see what you look like, but I encourage listeners to Google you and to hit the images. Uh, you've you've got a you've got the look. You, your look is similar to that poster that you described, um, that that uh, encouraged you to join the Marines, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you you have got the look um, made for the camera as the military leader. Um, did your involvement as an actor was that just a hey let's get this guy in the scene because he just looks amazing, or was that something that 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 truly interested you?
1: I- <laughs> The blame Oliver Stone.
0: Okay, I will. Uh, (laughs) We'll credit (laughs) you. He
1: said, "Um, you know, I I need you in as a company commander. And I said, yeah, I I am the company commander. He said, no, 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 I mean, on camera. And I said, no, Oliver, wait a minute. These guys are trained actors and stuff. You know, I'll I'll fall through my ass there. And he said, no, no, get in here and just do what you do. Right and and the actors around me, uh, Willem Dafoe and uh, uh, Tom Berenger were were so kind to me. Um, And what I discovered was that you know I kind of enjoy this. Sure. Um, And and I have an opportunity here to increase uh, what I'm really trying to do, um, which is you know shine some light on who soldiers are, what we are. And so um, it was an opportunity. And it was fun and it made some money. Yeah. Uh, and so I said, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll do this. And for a while, I I was in the I, I guess every actor knows uh, I was in the audition process and so on. So Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Yeah. Um, and I'm probably the most typecast guy in Hollywood, you know, give, give, give me die or give me something that looks like
0: that. <laughs> give me a die type. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you you did the ultimate full circle where not only you, you played yourself in an episode yeah. of Entourage.
1: I did. Yeah. How'd that this happen? Was, I, well, I guess it was, uh, you know, I had I had uh, some experience with the cast in Entourage on a in on other projects. And I think when the idea came up, they said, well, wait a minute, let's use Captain Dye to come in here and, and he'll just be Captain Dye and, and we'll use him uh, as the uh, kind of a pivotal uh, element of the story. And, and I remember when they called me and said, why don't you come in and do this? I said, you know, I may have come full circle here. I'm, I'm playing myself. On a popular television show, so it was—it um, it was a lot. It was fun.
0: Yeah, that's when things get a little bit surreal. Yeah, they do. <laughs> as a uh, technical advisor, as a as a uh, a former Marine, and as a movie fan, what have you sensed? Um, about the films depicting more recent uh, U.S. military engagements, particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking of, of films like American Sniper, Lone Survivor, Zero Dark Thirty. Do you have any sense on an evolution of how war stories are being told?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that while it took us 10 years to get Platoon made
0: mm-hmm.
1: after the end of the war, Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing now uh, an, an interest in the human element of yep. the story, not so yep. much the political element. Yep. and to me that means that people are understanding that the soldiers are interesting right, um, right. that they're they're great dramatic foils and uh, and so uh, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a positive step. We're, sh- we're seeing uh, filmmakers attempting to do this. In a quicker fashion.
0: When you see the sort of the depiction of soldiers in more contemporary films, how do you think that impacts the viewer? The whether whether it be a you know a, a young man or a young woman who's considering a career in the military. Uh, you know, you alluded to when you were a young man being inspired by the uh, the fictional depictions of of war or or even the um, uh, the historical fiction depictions of war. Do you think that's changing now? Do you think that that viewers now are, th- are seeing that whoa in too many cases where uh pawns in a political game or uh has that has that evolved?
1: Yes, um, it has evolved. Um I think there is still and always will be that that, that that kid out there that's looking for great adventure and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And still sees the flags waving and the bugle blowing and so on and so forth. But so many of American, I'm, I'm trying to be careful. how I say this.
0: You need to uh, be careful.
1: <laughs> well, so many of young Americans aren't fit, sir. Yeah. Um, they're fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're dumb. And, um, and that worries me, yeah. um, and and I'm not sure where it's going to go. I'm I'm hoping it'll improve uh, generationally. Uh, it needs to uh-huh. because we need those people. We need those soldiers, and we need thinking soldiers, not automatons.
0: What is the in your in your mind? What is the essence of the warrior spirit?
1: I think the warrior spirit. The essence of it is self-sacrifice. Um, a willingness to put yourself on the line for the greater good. You need an understanding of what the greater good is, but it really is selflessness.
0: Well, Dale Dye, I uh, thank you for your time. I thank you for your insight, and and I most definitely thank you for your service. This is this has really been a, an honor and a pleasure.
1: Well, thank you, Mike. It's very always great to talk to you.